promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by the General Building Contractors Association. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here's Matt Cabry. Helping businesses to grow. It's not an easy task, and there are certain skills that are required to really invest that time and energy and expertise, and that's going to be the focus of our conversation on this episode of Growing Greater Philadelphia. We're excited to welcome Bill Morrow. Bill, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Bill is um, one of the principals at a company that is uh, headquartered in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, just about 10 miles outside the city of Philadelphia in the town of Narberth, Pennsylvania. It's called Empirical Consulting Solutions. Yep, we are uh, proud to be in Narberth, and we've been there now for about a year and a half, and glad to be there. And you uh, were founded about five years ago. Correct, five years ago. Share with us the story about what inspired you and your colleagues to create Empirical. Yeah, we we were in corporate America, like uh, a lot of people out there are, and we saw a real need in the small, medium-sized businesses where they could use some extra horsepower and some extra help, but couldn't find uh, somebody to come in and do that. Your choices were either try to get one of the big boys to pay attention to you or get somebody that's a single shingle person out there that's working on their own. But other than that, there was really not a whole lot of options. So we decided we were really good at fixing problems. We'd come together and build a company. That's great. And I want to dive into that just a little bit more because I love the kitchen table analogy. Take us back to, I'm going to guess, 2012 or 13, where you and your team are thinking through about the problem that you saw that you kind of just articulated that, you know, small to mid-sized companies, they need a little bit of expertise and horsepower that sometimes isn't within the organization. And you guys identified that and decided to do something about it. Yeah, exactly. We we really took a look at what was going on out there. We were getting calls just organically. People were calling us and saying, hey, could you help? Hey, I could help get some help over here in sales. And what we learned, and I think we've all known in business is, Uh, problems don't happen in silos. So you don't have a problem with just a sales team or just a marketing team. You have a problem that might be systemic to your whole company. And we were finding that we were referring each other in as independents other than more than we probably should have been. So we made a common methodology, came across the board, helped companies across the board in sales and finance and HR and operations. And we really made a company like some of the big consulting firms that was really designed and built for small, medium-sized businesses. And when you say you were getting calls, you know, you're a member of a team of 13 now. I suspect it was a little bit smaller five years ago, a kickoff, right? Correct. There's about three of us. Okay. <laughs> and and you were getting calls as individuals based on your expertise in the industry. Correct. Yeah. So we'd get calls and people ask for help. And, and at the time, some of us were still even had our day jobs, so to speak, and we were helping as we could. But uh, right. we really found that, uh, you know, when you have a good good common methodology, a good approach. It applies across the board. And uh, people started asking for us more and more. And people often ask, how do you do business development? And we tell people, we just answer the phone. It's It's as easy as that. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly. (laughs) Bill, you had referenced methodology. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that methodology of how, you know, to put it in kind of the business speak, if you will, empowering people to drive that lasting success and really, you know, move the needle, if you will. And, And you have a couple key areas in that methodology that your team embraces. And it really starts 
with defining the challenge within the company. But expand on that for us a little bit. Correct. Yeah, we, we really think that it's important that you get in and you define where the problem is and measure and analyze where the, the issues are really coming from. So we use the demand process. It's a tried and true process that people have used. We just apply it to everything we do, and we look at all of our companies that we get involved with. We call it fresh eyes, and we take a look with fresh eyes at everything that's going on in an organization, and then we report back to the customer, this is what we're seeing, and this is what we think your roadmap forward should be, and, and follow that demand process. And you and your team have that kind of level of expertise and that experience that causes those around you to say, we trust these folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we often joke, we're surprised people trust us that much. Uh, we have a current customer that we have a large company and uh, they ask us to handle a large part of their distribution and they don't jump on the calls with us. Uh, we see they just trust us that much to do the job and we're running 40, 50 million dollar piece of their business and they trust us to do it. That's great. And it takes time and, and I suspect experience to, to develop that level of trust. It's all about relationships. It's yeah. all about relationships. It takes time. And in this area in Philadelphia, you know, there's a great organization, a great group of people that you really have to be in the know and you have to be trusted. I, we always I was just joking with somebody today in Philadelphia, there's two degrees of separation, it's not six, because it right. seems like everyone knows each other. And thus, it really holds you accountable. You have to do well in the city or you're not going to do it very long. Yeah. And speaking of trust, we have with us in the studio one of uh, the clients of Empirical. In fact, it is the very first client very of Empirical first. who trusts you guys and the team of men and women at Empirical to really help move the needle within their organization. And that's Mike Riley. Mike is president of a family-owned business called Riley Sales. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Share with us a little bit more about Riley Sales. What kind of organization are you? And tell us a little bit more about your history. Well, actually, Riley Sales is celebrating its 50 years in business. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, my father started the business, uh, just a, a salesman with a station wagon in 1968. And we've grown to, we're going to open our eighth location in Reading. Uh, we have seven locations in east, southeastern Pennsylvania and southern New Jersey, and we supply the products for the installing HVAC contractor, what it takes to heat or cool your home business or office. That's great. And I love the 1968 story and, and how your dad had a vision for wanting to do something that moved the needle in that industry. And for folks who aren't familiar, I don't want to just assume that all our listeners know that HVAC stands for heating, ventilation, air conditioning. You got it. Yeah, I thought so. I just want to make sure. All right. You know, you grow up with these acronyms and you, you forget that everyone might not know it. But totally. Yeah, we're, we're the comfort people. We keep you cool in the summer and Warm in the winter. Yeah, totally. So 50 years, that's pretty amazing. You and your family must be really proud. Is dad still with us? Dad has passed approximately five years ago, but I came into the business in 1983, fresh out of college. You know, And dad and I didn't always see things the right way. My dad was the ultimate salesman. Tom Riley was the ultimate salesman. That's why we call it Riley Sales, not Riley Supply. Uh, right. We're not a supply house. Supply house, anyone can come in and just get something and you kind of pass it across the counter. Dad believed in um, finding solutions for the contractor customers. Air conditioning was a new industry then. It wasn't any great. I said, Dad, how'd you get into this? He goes, I, you know, I was a sales guy. There was some air conditioning was coming onto the market. He looked in the yellow pages back then. There wasn't any air conditioning supply houses. He's like, well, I'll start selling this. So he liked air conditioning. He liked being cool. Right. So uh, that's how he got into it. And uh, he was the sales guy. I was in operations. I came up as a kid working in the warehouses and 
I realized that dad, as much as he loved to sell, wasn't the most organized in the warehouses. So I, I took that upon myself mm-hmm. and um, organized that. And then I started to open more branches because I right. realized that we needed to spread out instead of doing everything from our headquarters then was in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. That's really great insight because people bring different kinds of expertise to organizations. And your dad, Tom, had this ability to connect with people, it sounds like, which allowed him to be successful in the sales space. You have more of a niche area in kind of operations and organizing and structure, if you will. And those complement each other. And you need different kinds of levers within an organization for them all to operate you know, independently but together to produce positive outcomes. You're exactly right. You know, when one might not be uh, working as smoothly as possible, it's sometimes sales outpaced operations. It's almost like uh, going to battle. Yeah. You could sell, but you can't supply. That's not good. And then right. on the flip side, if you have too much inventory that's sitting there and no one's selling it, that's not good. So yeah. you have to be, you do have to be in sync. It's like an orchestra. Yes. We have to. <laughs> Take us back, Michael, I guess a couple years now, five years or so, when you decided to engage Bill and the team at Empirical. What was happening within the Riley sales world where you said, you know, I think we can take this to the next level and we can engage the expertise of the team at Empirical? Well, if you go back at that time, we were coming out of the Great Recession. And if you were in building supplies anywhere in the country, it was a depression. I mean, sales were down over close to 30%. Mm-hmm. So when we were coming out, we were, you know, you're still in kind of shock. You were, not kind of shock, you were. How did this happen? How do we get out? And we knew we didn't want to go through that again. And the team at Empirical with Bill and Chris Lee, they had been from bigger companies mm-hmm. and had been through the cycles, even though there was never a cycle like this, this recession. But I realized I needed help. Mm-hmm. Because especially on the operations, fine-tuning it even more than myself, right. that I was able to do it. And they have the expertise that you just don't have. They were at levels that I was never at. And when we were growing through 2007, 2008, oh, yeah, everything just went up. You know, they were building everywhere. So right. I thought I was a sales genius and a marketing genius. And an operations genius. Oh, it was just, I, was, I was cruising. <laughs> yeah, but right, uh, right. then when it fell apart, I'm like, I'm not as smart as I thought. And my father was around. He said, oh, don't worry. You know, recessions last you know, three to six months. I'm right. Like, oh, Dad, we're a year into this and <laughs> two years into it. So coming out, I said, I need someone a little smarter than me on some of these, uh, you know, and to track things and to bring us out and then make sure it doesn't happen again. Yep. So, Mike, you had mentioned Plymouth Meeting is home base for Riley Sales. You're in the HVAC supply and sales industry where you're supplying and selling items to the HVAC service partners, essentially, correct? Correct. But you also mentioned you're now opening your eighth location here in the greater Philadelphia region between northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania, which is tremendous. 50-year-old company. How big's the shop today? We are now over $30 million in sales. Mm-hmm. We find, and we've helped define this with Empirical, our industry is defined in three segments. The one, two truck gentleman, mm-hmm. or contractor, male or female. Sure. Who likes to buy locally. They like to go in, they buy locally, they buy for the job, each particular job. They're working on the Smith residence. They want to come in the morning, buy it, get everything they can to install that. That gentleman 
usually, or that contractor usually works a little bit cheaper. He doesn't have the overhead. He comes in and works on referrals, but he's mm-hmm. very happy coming in our supplies. He relies on us for credit, for product knowledge, and have all the products to get the job done right. Then you have the next segment takes over maybe a geographical area. They have four to five service trucks, works in a given market, be Narberth, be it South Philly. Yep. They sell service contracts. They're usually multi-generational. They support the Little League. They're in the Kiwanis Club. Yeah, they're part of the neighborhood. Their neighborhood, everyone knows them. Their trucks are labeled, and they usually have a brand of equipment that they really like mm-hmm. or supports, and that brand, they they market around that, their name, but also the brand name of a carrier, Lennox type like that. Yep. And then the third is the big contractors that have 100 trucks big marketers, very successful in that. They themselves have become a brand and market that. So they each have a third of the industry and you have to market to each one of those and sell to them different ways. And they call on their supply houses for different products or, or services, depending on what size, you know, which segment they are in. That's a really great insight, and I really appreciate you kind of categorizing those for us because it really makes it very clear and logical. Folks, we're talking with Mike Riley, who is president of Riley Sales, a 50-year-old supplier to the HVAC industry. And Mike is here with a colleague named Bill Morrow, who's one of the principals and managing partner at a company also headquartered in Montgomery County called Empirical Consulting. And Mike, I want to transition to Bill, but I want to do it by using an example example that you just shared. And I have to say, it took a lot of courage. And I recognize that you saw an opportunity to say, you know, where am I going to take this organization next? As a family-owned business, I grew up in the business. I've been working here for X number of years, but I need some help and I can't do it all. And I'm going to turn to folks who have a toolkit that may have some tools in there that I don't necessarily access on a regular basis or have an expertise in. And that's when you reached out to the team at Empirical. And I would really value, Bill, your perspective on some of those tools in your toolkit. And one in particular Mm -hmm. is this notion of be a maverick. Right. And if you could share with us a little bit more about what that means to your team and how you employ that with your clients, whether it's with uh, folks like Mike at O'Reilly Sales or or other clients. Well, I think Mike is really, when you talk about mavericks, he really shows you being a maverick and what that's all about. It's not easy to say to somebody, hey, kind of come in and and take a look at what I'm doing and tell me if there's something I can be doing better. And and it takes a maverick. And we look at ourselves as mavericks. And it's funny. And we use a tool called Predictive Index to assess people and companies when we're out there, personalities. And we all came back with maverick uh, styles. So we use that and we, we still use that today where you take a look and when you're a maverick, you ask the questions, why? And why do you do it that way? And the answer, that's the way we've always done it, is just not good enough for us. And right. We always are digging. And it's good to be a maverick. It's good to have mavericks on your team. And if you don't, this is when you go outside and find somebody who can be. And one of the specific aspects of the kind of be a maverick and how do you be a maverick uh, type of approach, which I really appreciate, be vulnerable. You know, not everybody knows everything and it's okay to admit that. And, you know, Mike, you kind of experienced a little bit of that. You mentioned that, you know, you don't know it all. You thought you did. And sometimes you do, but not always. No, correct. Like I said, I grew up in the business. You thought you knew it, but a fresh set of eyes. Like one of the things that Chris and Bill came in and said, we're going to measure your KPIs. I'm like, what's a KPI? A key performance indicator. Right. You know, 
it's stuff that we did every day, but we never measured it. Oh, we knew the sales, we knew the gross profit, but what goes into the gross profit? What what products can you get that have higher gross profit than the other products? Okay, let's try to sell the ones that have a higher margin. Right. Let's track those. All right, how many returns do you have? What you know, what's the profitability of this run to a second run? Oh, I know, you know, I thought I knew intuitively, oh, that runs very profitable, you know, but sometimes it wasn't. And so they were able to do the analytics that I thought I knew intuitively. I, you can use the sports analogy today. You know, I'm the old scout, you know, who mm-hmm. likes the sound of the baseball and you look mm-hmm. at the five-tool player and he, and you could just tell, you can tell by the, the way that guy goes up to the plate. Now right. let's, let's check his bat speed, his launch speed, his, uh, you know, how fast is he down the first base side. So they gave us analytics that we were uh, now able to uh, quantify and, uh, and turn into making us more profitable and more successful. Yeah, and to measure and say, look, here's proof that if we do this, we're going to get this outcome. If we do that, we're going to get that outcome. Exactly. Yeah. One of the other maverick recommendations that Bill Morrow and his colleagues at Empirical reference is don't let the day-to-day get in the way. Bill, if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think we've all been there, right? I can tell you I was in there in my corporate jobs, and you get into the day-to-day and you get going, and I love the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees, and you need to take a chance and take an ability to take a step back and uh, really analyze what's going on. And sometimes what you think is so clear, and I think Mike just said it so well, that you think everything's so clear and then you you realize, wow, there is a, a different way of looking at this and there's different solutions that we can come out of this. And as things get competitive and more and more competitive, you want that competitive edge. And to take a chance and take an opportunity to take a look back is really different. Yeah. You just have to do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, folks, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to turn to Mike Riley. And, Bill, if you want to chime in on this as well, I'd appreciate that. But I'm going to put together two phrases that, frankly, I wasn't expecting to put together until we were focused on this topic and learning more about what's happening in this industry space. And these two phrases, Mike, are heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, HVAC, your area of expertise in the supply area, right? And private equity. And there seems to be a disruption that's happening in the HVAC space when it comes to a private equity perspective. And I was hoping you could expand a little bit on that and what's happening in that world. Yes, private equity is coming in. It's one of our largest customers was purchased. And then that company then purchased another one of our customers. So they see that the businesses are profitable enough for Mm -hmm. private equity, and there is room to grow, Mm -hmm. and there might be more companies out there to build on that platform. It is very prevalent with the contractors, the larger contractors. I told you that they're segmented into the three categories. Three categories. Sure. There is also in distribution. Mm -hmm. It's something that Riley Sales has chose not to go down that path. We have, again, a successful family business. But um, I would think a lot of industries, not just HVAC, that the private equity, there's a lot of money out there. I think a lot of these firms want to get into bricks and sticks and mortars and 
and businesses with strong cash flows, mm-hmm. maybe take some money out of the stock market or take something, some money out of other businesses and um, construction, construction supplies, HVAC. I always say, as long as it gets warm or as long as it gets warm out and cold out, right. you're going to need our products. We're not San Diego here. so Right, right. So I want to get into uh, the unexpectedness of this. And it's a question for you. And I want to turn to Bill as well. Clearly, the data and the researchers within the private equity space see value in the HVAC industry. Does that surprise you? No one thinks of HVAC till your unit breaks, right? right? It's not the sexy thing. It's not like the car in the driveway. Hey, Bill's yeah. got a new car. I got to yeah. get a new car. Yeah. No one worries about it. Everyone thinks their system might be Honeywell because that's what it said on the thermostat. And you don't worry about it till it breaks. But yeah. when it breaks, they're expensive systems. Right. Uh, lots of times, it's the second most expensive thing in your house. So... If it's done right and it is installed correctly and serviced correctly, the companies that do that are profitable. And the businesses and homeowners don't mind paying that because it keeps them comfortable. They don't have breakdowns when they have a family party or the 4th of July weekend. We can't get anyone in because you're trying to do something on the cheap. So, So I could see why the private equity sees the profitability of the industry. And Bill, from your view at Empirical, from a consulting perspective, surprise you that private equity sees this as a growth area? Not really. To Mike's point, it's an area that's very consistent and has a lot of upside. I think you've seen this very fragmented market, and private equity loves fragmented markets. They see opportunities to cut costs and maybe lean up an organization a bit. And then on top of that, add value. And, and they know when they can come in and buy multiple companies and and really pull them together in a roll-up strategy, they can get some great results. And so it doesn't surprise me that they're in, in HVAC now. So folks, we've been speaking with Bill Morrow of Empirical Consulting and Mike Riley, who leads family-owned business celebrating 50 years this year called Riley Sales. I have a question that I'm going to pivot here and bring it home to a more local topic because we at Select Great Philadelphia, our focus is on business attraction and job attraction to our 11-county neighborhood. And Bill, I'm going to pull back the curtain for the audience and let folks know Mm -hmm. that you were born and raised in Detroit. Yep. You lived a a little while out on the West Coast in the greater Los Angeles region. And and for uh, a little over 20 years now, you've been calling greater Philadelphia Mm. home. Finally got smart and and, and moved to our greater Philadelphia neighborhood. I did. What do you love about greater Philadelphia? Because you have a good comparison to other parts of the country. I'll tell you from a business standpoint, this area really outshines the other two areas I lived in. And there's nothing wrong with the other two areas. First of all, you get very genuine, meaningful people in this area. And the proximity to everything, to Europe, to New York, to D.C., and still have an affordable cost of living and a great talent base out here. I just don't understand why more companies don't locate in the area. And when, when we, we have three companies we're working with right, right now in the life sciences arena, and we're bringing all three of them here because they took a look around. They, they use a lot of your material uh, that Select Greater Philadelphia puts out, which is fantastic. Great. And they're, they're making choices to move arms of their company to this area because of those very reasons. That's great to hear. And I'm inspired when I hear that the message of balance about um, why this is such a great place to establish and grow a business is, is really resonating with a variety of folks. Yeah. Mike, as a native to greater Philadelphia, what do you see both as a business owner and as someone who just loves to live here? You know, you maybe have guests coming from out of town or you have family visiting. Where do you like to take them? Where do you say, we have to go here, guys? We can't miss this spot. This is either new or this is a classic and we got to enjoy this. Well, you got to get them down to some of the sporting events because we have our reputation. Yeah. And uh, the Phillies fans are uh, are unique and inspiring. 
and everyone comes back like what a great experience it really is once you're in with the crowd the other great thing here is as bill said people are genuine you can have and again i'm in a business where i deal with from the truck drivers and the installing contractors up to bankers and Mm -hmm. executives and everyone has a feel for each other nobody's too standoffish or thinks they're better than anyone they can hold a conversation they can talk about the local sports or even local politics because it drives us all crazy. And there's a feel, you know, of the people here who enjoy and like the area. Going back to my father, when I told you he started the company, he was a young salesman. He was a manufacturer's rep and working with national companies, he would be the rep for this area. And he always told me, and I always remembered that one gentleman told him, we like getting salespeople from the Philadelphia area. The New Yorkers are tough and have attitude. And then down south, if you go down past Baltimore, they're a little too laid back and not as energized. In Philly, you get the best of both. They're very genuine. They get back to you. They have a hard work ethic. There's a lot of good people here. And they found a very successful getting reps and getting salespeople from the Philadelphia area. And uh, and that's what I find, too. Uh, you know, we've grown the business organically from people who've grown up through, coming up through Riley Sales. And we always say there's two ways to go. You can go through the operations, become a good warehouse person, truck driver, purchasing or operations, or else go into the sales where you're working with people Mm -hmm. and you enjoy talking to them and solving contractors' problems. And it's really, to simplify it, it's getting the products onto the job site so they can keep their men or women working uh, to provide comfort systems for our, our end users. And if they keep the products flowing and then they get the systems back up running, everyone's happy. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way to capture the spirit of greater Philadelphia, Mike. Thank you for that. So, folks, Mike Riley, Riley Sales. Mike, here's to another 50 fantastic years of growth and success for Riley Sales. Thank you. Bill Morrow, one of the principals at uh, Empirical Consulting. Here's to at least another five years of exciting growth. Thanks. Uh, We're going to be excited when we hit 50 like Mike did. Absolutely. Will you have me back for my 100th? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe even your 55th. All right. Okay. (laughs) Bill and Mike, thank you so much for being part part of the storytelling that we embrace here on uh, the Growing Greater Philadelphia program because it's all about bringing new jobs and new companies to our community and we can't do it without sharing the stories of success that each of your organizations bring so thank you for being part of our program thank you thanks for having me our Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast is brought to us by many of our investors and partners including Stradley Ronan They're a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia, and their more than 200 attorneys represent private and public companies in everything from sophisticated corporate transactions to complex litigation. You can learn more at stradley.com. And by Independence Blue Cross, a leading health insurance company offering health plans from managed care, Medicare, and Medicaid, and they have over 10,000 dedicated employees right here in Greater Philadelphia. You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Check out all of our podcasts and be sure to tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m., Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia. 
listen to the 48 Hours podcast on demand. Real people, real crimes, real life drama. 48 Hours investigates the most intriguing crime and justice cases. Investigators discovered Brown chained up like a dog. We can hear the girl yelling for help. CBS News is bringing investigative reporting and impact journalism. You have this toxic love triangle. It was a crime that rocked this upscale community. The 48 Hours podcast. This case was a true whodunit. Download and subscribe on the new radio.com app or wherever else you get your podcast.